Welcome back, Heming Brainiacs, to the podcast of the Hemingway List. Seasons, greetings to you all, says Techrific. Good to see you, Tech. Hope you're doing good. And uh, yes, yeah, seasons, greetings, Merry Christmas, etc. Have a great holiday, my fellow Hemingway Listers, says Techrific. And to you as well, says Swim. Nice to have a little, a little Hemingway List family together on Christmas Eve. It's Christmas Eve here in Australia. It's probably going to be Christmas Eve for you too by the time you hear this. It's 11.04pm. Less than an hour till the big day. Um, and when you've got kids, as you probably know, oh, it is a big day. I feel like I deserve, I don't know, a scotch, a cigar, <laughs> something. After the uh, sheer amount of gift wrapping I've done today. Not to mention watching carols, you know, looking at Christmas lights around the street, all the Christmas stuff that goes with it. We did a good thing. Um, I, I did steal this off like Instagram or something, but we do the whole elf on the shelf thing here. Um, a tradition that started with my partner and, and her daughter before I was part of the equation. So, you know, we never did that when I was a kid. It was never really a thing. But uh, it is here. And it's kind of fun. So I stole this one where we wrote this letter from the elf to Summer saying that... Um, the elf saying she stole... Oh, no, sorry, not stole. She borrowed some pixie dust from the tooth fairy enough to cast two spells. The first spell is that your parents won't be able to read this letter. And the second spell, it said like, yeah, try it, show them, and they will just see a blank piece of paper. So of course, when Summer showed us the letter in the morning, this morning, we were like, what are you talking about, Summer? It's a blank piece of paper. And she blew her little mind. And the second spell being that if you ask your parents for ice cream for dinner, they'll let you have it. And they'll say, great idea. So, um, you know, we, we were walking up the street to do a bit of shopping and we said, oh, what do you guys, what do you want to have for dinner tonight? Summer, what do you reckon we should have? And Summer said, I think we should have ice cream. So she'd uh, received the message. We won't, we won't, she's only seven and she's a good reader, but we were worried that she wouldn't quite understand. There was a bit of a complex letter, but she got it. And so she asked if she, if we could have ice cream for dinner. And we were like, oh, ice cream for dinner. I've actually never thought of that. That is a really good idea. So we went down the street and bought a whole bunch of different types of ice cream. Um, I got like just a tub of vanilla. I also got like these little ice cream sandwiches with like uh, different flavors in it, like strawberry and stuff. Um, and I got these little squares, these little cubes about the size of, I don't know, uh, I kind of think of what it's the size of. Small. <laughs> the size of a matchbox. Um, and they're like chocolate squares with ice cream and they were Ben and Jerry's or whatever it is with like cookie dough in it or something. Anyway, come dinner time, I arranged all these different types of ice cream on our plates, our normal dinner plates, to sort of look like a meal, you know, like a meat and veg sort of thing. So like the... The vanilla ice cream looked a bit like mashed potato, um, you know, and the the ice cream sandwich was almost like our, our, our 
our steak or whatever protein. So, um, and then I put it all on the table with like knives and forks, like how we usually set the dinner table. And in the middle where I usually put like salt and, you know, tomato sauce and stuff like that, I put like chocolate topping and, uh, and sprinkles and a little, um, ramekin with, with fresh raspberries and, um, and we just kind of like, we acted as if nothing was weird at all. Like this was a pretty normal dinner. We're like, Oh, we never, well, I don't know why we never thought to have ice cream for dinner before. It's so easy. Um, so anyway, that was fun. Summer loved it. That was actually what we had for dinner tonight, a bunch of ice cream. Um, yeah, Christmas. Merry Christmas. Let's, um, press on, shall we? I don't often spend the first, like, you know, five minutes of the podcast talking about that, but it's, you know, it's a special occasion. It's Christmas Eve. Oh, dear. I'm hearing a baby crying. I might have to pause and come back. Be right back. Oh, right, I'm back. Oh, and I have Toby. Toby's first Christmas tomorrow. We're pretty excited. Hopefully he doesn't cry right now. He's kind of semi-asleep in my arms. The tapping is me tapping his bum. Any parent knows this move. And if you can hear a kind of sucking noise, he's got a dummy in his mouth right next to the microphone. Anywho. Come on, buddy. Hey, don't cry. Robert Browning. What did we think of Robert Browning? I don't, you know, not really uh, my style of, uh, like, I guess the poetry. I liked the subject matter, but the, the what's the word? Like, prose? Um, it wasn't, uh, I don't know, it didn't really click with me. The syntax was a little bit staggered for my brain. Um, some bits flowed really nicely. Other bits, I felt like I was getting tongue-tied. Techrific says, The utter insanity of the speaker, Porphyra's lover, is chilling to the bone. Yeah, that one struck me. That was a that was a dark one. Apparently, Browning's monologues, says Swim, are frequently voiced by eccentrics, lunatics, or people under emotional stress. Their ramblings illustrate character by describing the interactions of an odd personality with a particularly telling set of circumstances in Porphyria's lover, and my last duchess, Browning uses this mode of exposition to describe a man who responds to the love of a beautiful woman by killing her. Very emo-gothic, gone awry, says Tech. However fictional this may seem, sadly these kind of sentiments still exist, and sadly some people act on their crazy impulses. Yuck. Uh, do they? Really? It sounds like, like serial killer type stuff. Um, Swim says, Pippa's song ends with God in his heaven, all's right with the world. I'm familiar with the quote, but did not know it was from a Browning poem. Here are some other of his famous quotes. Grow old along with me, the best is yet to be. Ah, but a man's reach should exceed his grasp, or what's a heaven for? Oh, to be in England now that April's there. And less is more. Less is more is a Browning phrase, right? Okay. Um, he sure packed some great zingers, but also showed some deep psychological insights into the human psyche and willingness to put himself into the minds of some rare birds, says Tekrific. As usual, says Swim, your comment, Tekrific, compelled me to look deeper. Browning's poems can be very complex. For example, this abstract. This chapter takes Browning's The Ring and the Book and the positive critical reception of the poem as evidence that by 1870 a psychological analysis had been widely accepted as a subject for poetry. 
Browning's use of the dramatic monologue form to convey and interrogate his speaker's thoughts attests to the growing authority of psychological analysis in Victorian literary culture. His incorporation of these monologues into a psychological epic reflects the rise of theories of psychological psychology, psychological, oh, sorry, physiological psychology, makes more sense, that refigured thought as a physical process, suitable material for epic as well as lyric poetry. Browning puts forward a defense of the poetic analysis of psychology in the opening and closing books of his poem and in his letters to Julia Wedgwood. This chapter consists considers the theories of physiological psychology that Browning encountered in his reading before examining Browning's analysis of psychological processes in the dramatic monologues of The Ring and the Book. Well, that much me and Browning have in common. I've often enjoyed writing from the perspective of someone suffering from, a, you know, an intense psychological episode or breakdown or what have you. Um, I've written from the p- perspective of people having anxiety attacks, having um, um, withdrawals, having psychotic episodes, having schizophrenia, having um, um, borderline personality disorder. I've written from the perspective of psychopaths. I've written from the perspective of... Probably some others. But um, I've enjoyed doing that, and I've always tried to do it with a sense of realism, like follow them down the rabbit hole, not just find them there, and justify it to the extent where, you know, there's misfiring synapses, there's things going wrong, but we get them there and it makes sense to us the same way as it makes sense to them in that moment, even if their behaviour is completely illogical from an outside perspective. I always try to take you there with with them. Um, I find that fun and a fascinating challenge. Personal fable would be probably the best example of some of those things all playing out at once. Um, but yeah, plenty of short stories and, and stuff like that as well. <clears throat> oh, and like um, coming of age, I guess, personal fable being a reference to sort of the coming of age phenomenon as a psychological condition. Um, and I've explored that in other novels as well. And also like um depression and you know what else i find interesting is that i didn't know until this year that i have adhd um inattentive type and i wonder if the traits of that has ever been Im- uh, impressed upon one of my characters without my knowledge you know if i didn't even know i had it then maybe traits that made sense to me for my characters on a personal level not everything my characters does makes sense to me, but I understand why it would make sense to them or other people. But, you know, I wonder if any of my characters have ADHD traits. Wouldn't that be interesting? Anyway, I'm on a ramble tonight, feeling rambly. <clears throat> um, Browning Bell. Oh, okay. Who we got here? William Bell Scott. Born 1812. Died 1890, first poems called The Witch's Ballad. Oh, I hey, come from far away, from a warm land, far away, a southern land across the sea, with sailors, lads about the mast, merry and canny and kind to me. 
and I have been to yon town to try my luck in yon town, Norton Mysey of the Psy too. Right brawl we were to pass the gate, with golden clasps and girdles blue. Mysey smiled with mimini mouth. Innocent mouth, mimini mouth. Elpsby wore a scarlet gown. Nort's grey eyes were Uncle Greg Gleg. What? My castile comb was like a crown. We walked abreast all up the street into the market up the street. Oh, our hair with marigolds was wound. Our bodices with love knots laced. Our merchandise with tansy bound. Nort had chicken. I had cocks. Game some cocks. Loud crowing cocks. Mysey ducks and Elsby drakes. For we grot, or a pound, we lost no time with gives and takes. Lost no time, for well we knew, in our sleeves full well we knew, when the gloaming came that night, not, not duck, nor drake, nor hen, nor cock, would be found by candle light. And when our chaffering was done, all was paid for, sold and done. We drew a glove on ilka hand, and sweetly curtsied each to each, and deftly danced a saraband. The market lassies looked and laughed, left their gear and looked and laughed. They made as they would join the game, but soon their mithers wild and wild. With whack and screech they stopped the same. Some loud the tongues of randies grew, the flighting and the skirling grew, at all the windows in the place, with spoons or knives, with needle or owl was thrust out every hand and face, and down each stair they thronged and on, gently, gentle, simple, thronged and on, Souter and Taylor, frowsy Nan, the ancient widow, young again, simpering behind her fan, without a choice against her will, doited, dazed against her will, the market lassie and her mother, the farmer and his husbandman, hand in hand dance, all the gither. Slow at first, but faster soon, still increasing, wild and fast. Hoods and mantles, hats and hose, blindly doffed and cast away, let them naked heads and toes. They would have torn us limb from limb, dainty limb from dainty limb, but never one of them could win across the line that I had drawn with bleeding thumb, a widdershin. But there was Jeff, the provost's son. Jeff, the provost's only son. There was Father Ald himself. The Lombard from the... Hostelry, and the lawyer Peter Fell, all goodly men, we singled out, welled them well, and singled out, and drew them by the left hand in, Mysie the priest, and Elspie's one, the Lombard North, and the lawyer Carl, and my myself, the Provost's son, then, with cantrip kisses seven, three times round, with kisses seven, warped and woven, and there spun we, arms and legs and flaming hair, like a whirlwind on the sea. Like a wind that sucks the sea over in and over on the sea. Good sooth it was a mad delight, and every man of all the four shut his eyes and laughed outright, laughed as long as they had breath, laughed while they had sense or breath, and close about us coiled a mist and gnats and midges, wasps and flies, like the whirlwind shaft at wrist. Drawn up, I was right off my feet into the mist and off my feet, and dancing on each chimney top I saw a thousand darling imps keeping time with skip and hop. And on the Provost's brave ridge tile, and the Provost's grand ridge tile, the black moor, first to master me I saw, I saw that winsome smile, the mouth that did my heart beguile, and spoke the great word over me in the land beyond the sea. I called his name, I called aloud, alas, I called on him aloud, and then he filled his hand with stour, 
and threw it towards me in the air. My mouse flew out, I lost my power, my lusty strength, my power were gone. Power was gone, and all was gone. He will not let me love him more. Of bell and whip and horse's tail, he cares not if I find a store. But I am proud if he is fierce, and I am proud as he is fierce. I'll turn about and backward go, if I meet again the blackamoor, and he'll help us then, for he shall know I seek another paramour, and we'll gang once more to yon town with bitter luck to yon town, we'll walk in silk and cramoisy, and I shall wed the provost's son, my lady of the town I'll be, for I was born a crowned king's child, born and nursed a king's child, king of the land, and yon to the sea, where the blackamoor kissed me first and taught me the art of glamoury. Each one in her wame shall hide her hairy mouse, her wary mouse, fed on madwort and agramay, where amber beads between her breasts and blind worms skin about her knee, the lombard shall be Elspie's man, Elspie's golden husband man, nought shall the, take the lawyer's hand, the priest shall swear another vow, we'll dance again the saraband. <coughs> Holmes done. All right. That was a ripper. I actually really liked that one. Um, cool. Uh, yeah. Have a great uh, Christmas Eve. And see you tomorrow on the big day. Thanks for listening. <laughs>